<laughs> against. Oh yeah, go ahead. You go ahead. You were gonna do a thing. No, I was sighing. <laughs> this is John sighing on. <laughs> against all odds. It's what a time. crummy intro. <laughs> no, this is it. Hi everyone. I, it? I'm in a car in the rain in New Hampshire. <laughs> So this is the intro you get, everybody, and you have no idea how hard we had to work to bring you this lousy intro. This is our sixth take. If Mad About You was a final frontier, we're traveling outside of time and space here. So let's break it down now, it's just what we do. It's Mad About, Mad About You. It's Verite. It's Verite, yes. We got a real The Hitchhiker on our hands. <laughs> I know why I'm here. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, rise guys and rise gals alike, welcome to another episode of Mad About Mad About You, your Mad About You recap podcast. My name, well, my name, when I'm being fancy, is Russell Fader. My name is John Marbley. Ooh, slumming it. Yeah, today, big time. That's true. Like we said, you're in a car. This is going to be chaos, folks. <laughs> I got Strap the laptop in. balanced between my belly and the steering wheel. <laughs> I got the phone in a phone holder, which is actually quite nice. And I'm holding the microphone like uh, Bob Barker. Have we established that you have not seen planes, trains, and automobiles? Yeah, we've established that numerous times. Numerous times. There's a very great scene wherein they are driving late at night and Steve Martin falls asleep. And John Candy is driving the car and he starts driving them the wrong way. And for some reason, just the image of you behind the wheel of a car with a laptop on your belly made me think of you as John Candy driving down the wrong way of a highway as I sleep next to you. You know, Russ, there's almost no connection there except for the car. <laughs> Who knows? It where makes me think from, of days John. of thunder. <laughs> Oh, man, yours is so much cooler, but mine's pretty funny. There's cars in both of them. Sure. So that's pretty Not neat. And people. <laughs> Don't forget the people. Don't forget the people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there are probably more connections between Days of Thunder and planes, trains, and automobiles. Folks, let us know what they are. <laughs> Sweepstakes. Yep. Send yep, in yep, a 4,000-word yep. essay. <laughs> and as we've established, since the things so far are cars and people, other things in common might be like, hey, the sky's in both of them. I don't know if there's any sky in Days of Thunder. <laughs> oh, man. How are you? I'm well. Not a whole lot going on. Sinking heavily into... October. I'm doing uh, oh, yeah, my, your pumpkin eating. My pumpkin eating, yes, which I believe you called a stunt last year. Yeah, it is a stunt. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I ruffled some pumpkin feathers. You sure did. I ruffled some peels. I did not care for that one bit. It now is, though. It's, it's, a, it's a total stunt. It's like uh, David Blaine. <laughs> I'm the David Blaine of pumpkin. <laughs> you're the, yeah, you're the David Blaine of eating one serving size of pumpkin a day for 31 days. John. What's this on the back of your neck? Oh, you I have like, oh, this doesn't look good. What is he also a dermatologist? What, oh. are, you, what are you doing? <laughs> Russ Fader, dermatologist slash pumpkin magician. <laughs> yeah. You're going to lock yourself in a pumpkin above uh, Trafalgar Square for two months. 
Hey, speaking of Trafalgar Square, you were abroad recently, weren't you? I've been all over the place, baby. You move, you shake. I rattle, I roll. You've been enjoying, I hope? Yeah, it was so much fun. Went to London for the first time for a little film festival. Nice. Our little films do a little short films doing the film festival circuit. That's so cool. Now I'm in New Hampshire at the New Hampshire Film Festival. Man, oh man. And great concessions. Oh yeah? Yeah, truly. Like what? Any drink you can imagine, and they give it to you in a little sippy cup, like at the Broadway theaters. Oh, how nice. Freshly popped popcorn, smells wonderful, and a surprisingly high number of uh, candy options. Interesting. Yeah. How cool. I love it. It's not a film concessions festival. (laughs) (laughs) All the biggest... uh, all the biggest yeah. popcorn and good and plenty dealers are here. <laughs> and yeah, the concessions there are like a buck twenty-five per item, but the movie itself is like seventy bucks. And yeah, that's yeah. where they get you. <laughs> they would, but nobody goes. <laughs> well, folks, we are currently kicking off episode sixty-three of Mad About Mad About You. We're here to talk about episode 17 of season three of Mad About You, which is called Mad Without You. (laughs) This, I think, is a play on the title of the uh, popular 90s sitcom Mad About You. Which is so funny because it's not. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. right. There's no play except they took the first word, the last word. I was thinking about this. I guess it kind of sounds like it, right? Well, without, about. I want to see. They've done this before, I think. I can't remember what it is. Yes, like a off yes self-reference yes and i want to see like we need to come up with a list of pitches for all of the prepositions because we've got mad about you mad without you we need to do mad around you mad betwixt you mad beneath you around you sounds like that is a real episode yeah it does yeah the other two are so contrived (laughs) betwixt What are you, Jamie? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm Jamie. <laughs> Am I the Jamie of the, of our relationship? Uh, yeah, of course. I get to be the Paul. <laughs> I get to be. We're not, You're I'm always to, the Paul. I'm trying to get to the reality of the, our situation. And you're just like, look, man, if we're creating a scenario and I get to be either Paul Buckman or Jamie Buckman, dibs. Well, I think we both want to be Paul and both think we're Paul. We're probably both Jamie. We're probably both Fran. Quite honestly, Mark, I think. Yeah, we're both. Yeah, we. we. <laughs> you know what? We are both Mark because Mark wishes he was Paul. Yes, a thousand percent. <laughs> this was quite a fun journey. You want to hear the TV guide? How did TV guide break this down? Jamie goes away for the weekend and Paul has too much free time and no clue about how his household is run. Okay. Too many ends. You know what? I didn't read this. Yeah. That was a cold read, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> You're available for parties? <laughs> yeah, I read log lines at parties. Put him in your short film. <laughs> Have your kids shout out a date, a time, and a channel. <laughs> and I'll cold read what aired. <laughs> hey, that's my segment. <laughs> that's true. It's not well described, this episode. No. Just say, and Paul is lost, or, you know, I don't know. It's easier. Thinking about it, I just thought, this feels pretty first season. This description? No, the well, the description, the description feels twenty years old. Frankly, 
No, but like the episode, thinking about the like the kind the stuff that happens and the kind of plot, this feels like it could have been a first season episode. Although I'm I don't really saying know what that, that out means. loud. Yeah, I'm saying that out loud right now. I'm like, I don't know how you would differentiate between. I'm like, it's still just couple stuff. Yeah, it feels like an episode of uh, Mad About You. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> do you have anything to talk about? I do. Ooh. Ooh, baby. It's Rust time. It's Rust time. So I'll tell you, John, Rust time is a little thin, but it's too good to pass up. We're going to have to use our imaginations a little bit because so here's what was going on. I dipped back to the old days to find what was on television and nothing good was on that day. Ah, another feeling. But two days prior, three Tuesday. days prior, Mondays, actually. Monday. I miscounted. Mondays. Mondays at 8.30 on ABC is a new show. The Practice. The title of that. <laughs> no. The show is called A Whole New Ball Game. Oh, great. Oh, it's going to kill me that I don't have internet right now. I can't look ahead. I have to just listen to you. Yeah. And I'm going to stumble my way through this thing. Okay. But. I'll catch you. A Whole New Ball Game is a show that stars Corbin Burnson. I know that name from Seinfeld. He was Law & Order. No, he was L.A. Law. That's what I meant. Yep. And he was also, I know him primarily from Major League. Oh, yes, that's right. But the other things that he did, well, the thing about this show is it was based on the strike, the baseball strike from 1994-95. Oh, yeah, sure, Do you know about this? Yeah, of course. I think I read several articles on it while doing research for the podcast and then opted not to share them because they were boring. (laughs) That sounds about right. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I might have shared one. Wasn't the World Series canceled that year? In 95, yes. This year, the World Series did not happen this year. That's right. So here we go. The series centered on Brent Sooner, played by Corbin Burnson, Mm -hmm. an egotistical Major League Baseball player sidelined by the baseball strike who became a sportscaster for TV station WPLP in Milwaukee. Here's where we need to think about this show, though. It's like Frasier with sports. Basically, yes. Okay. Only slightly less well-known and successful. But frankly, that is <laughs> shocking because Julia Campbell was in this show. I do not know her. Do okay. you know her? No, no. Me neither. Of the Campbell Soup Dynasty? I think so. I okay. Think she, oh, yeah. That's her headshot. It's just a can of... It, it's the <laughs> oh, Warhol. Andy Warhol did a portrait? Yeah. <laughs> she was part of the whole factory scene? I had no idea. John, we need to get serious about this show because the other three people on this regular cast. Oh, I can't wait. Are John O'Hurley. Okay. As Tad Sherman. You know him, right? Sure, Mr. Uh... Jay Peterman. Thank you. Stephen Tobolowski. Yes. As Dr. Warner Bakerfield, who was the weatherman. He plays a lot of Warners. He does, doesn't he? Wait, Warner or Warner? Warner. W A? W A, not W E. Uh, but I know mind. who you're thinking of. You're thinking of sneakers. I sh- wow, Russ. Yeah. Oh, I'm so <laughs> impressed. I love you, John. You know my uh, <laughs> Wi-Fi network is what? Playtronics. That's a little bit too deep. That's the toy company. You know what my password is verify me. Oh, that'd be very good and shorter and way more convenient because I didn't think this through before people kept coming over to my house and asking what the password was. <laughs> my is password <laughs> is my name is Werner Brandis. John, that's so complicated. I know well, it is. You know what? That's really great. But I also I have to spell Werner for people. You do. And Brandis, yeah, really, because sure it's a password, Brandis. so it has to be, you know, exactly right. Yeah. It's a nightmare. <laughs> oh, man. John, you interrupted my list. Who's and the third now, actor? The third actor is Richard Kind, John. What? Yeah. Two of yeah, my Richard... favorite character actors are in the same show? 
I'm saying he played Dwight King, a sales manager. So what kind of a thing is this show? (laughs) (laughs) Why is there a... I have no idea. (laughs) How does that even make it into a description? (laughs) I don't know. There's nothing available on the internet about this show. (laughs) There's a list of episode titles. Such as? Opening day. They say it's your birthday. You (laughs) are what you date. Those could apply to any sitcom. Yeah. The episode that aired three nights before This Mad About You was called Horace Morgan is Dead and Living in Milwaukee. That sounds great. Yeah. I'm like, that's pretty funny because that's pretty high-minded and a a play on Jacques Brel is alive and well and living in Paris. Who? Jacques Brel. Who's that? Uh, Of the Brello Pad fortune? Yeah, of the Brello Pad fortune. I think Andy Warhol did his portrait, too. (laughs) Oh. But, John, yeah, so they made 11 of these shows, 11 episodes. Four of them never aired. The original release of this show was from January 9th to March 13th. Ooh. And you can't find it anywhere. I got it's news not... for you, pal. What's up? I know we've been batting this around on and off for the last year and a half, but I think yeah. it might finally be time to pay a visit to the Paley Center. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, the amazing thing is, with that cast, John... How bad must this show have been? Right. It must have been terrible. They had the world on their, on the, on, at their, uh, yeah. Yeah. Just, it must have been yeah. terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also very funny because as I tried searching for a whole new ball game, turns out there's a kid's book with that title and it's very popular. <laughs> no kidding. And uh, like a modern one? Yeah. Huh. Like came out in, I think, the last 15 years or so. I didn't know they made normal kid books anymore. What do you think they made? I don't know. I, I feel like they all have an agenda now. What? You know? They're trying to Yeah, they're su- they're super instructive. Like when I was a kid, kid books were like, oh, yeah, Sammy goes to the story, buys a yo-yo at the end. <laughs> you know? And now it's like, oh, Sammy must navigate his friend's biracial relationship with their teacher. Well, you know. What's happening right now? <laughs> I'm turning into an old, I'm turning into a drunk uncle. Yeah. Right I'm biracial. Everyone relax. <laughs> Yeah, and I know how to deal with you because I read so many great instructional kids' books as a child. (laughs) That's why I'm not spewing epithets. Oh, man. You really choked me up on that syntax there. Did you see the spewing epithets at uh, Irving Plaza last week, by the way? It sounds like um, I'm really caught up on that name. That is such a wonderfully distracting three words. What is? Oh, it's two. I can't even count the words. Oh, boy, John. No, that's how good... Those two words are, but also I'm in a car. Yeah, I'm like, is there a carbon monoxide leak in there? Well, the lights don't work anymore, which is making me nervous. Uh-oh. Do you have to drive it? Yeah, it's not like an abandoned car I climbed into on the side <laughs> of the road. <laughs> that would make you a truly dedicated podcaster. <laughs> well, you know how much I care. Russ, I threw a homeless man out of this car. Tell me about what was on television. <laughs> what a monster I would be. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, that sounds great. Yeah. We gotta check that out. I would love to go to the Paley Center and watch that with you. And it's about baseball, your favorite. My very favorite thing. What is he, a Brewers player? He plays a Brewers player. There are pictures of him in uh, Brewers uniform, which is pretty neat. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because he played Roger Dorn, who was a uh, member of the Cleveland baseball team. and The Indians? Then, yeah, that's them. Oh, uh, we're not saying Indians? 
I feel weird about That's it. That's nice. Okay, yeah, sure. No Indians and no Redskins on this podcast. Exactly. The last time we're saying those two words is now. Now. So it's like he got traded. Corbin Brinson played for Cleveland. Now he plays for Milwaukee. There we go. Wait, so he's playing a real person? No. That's the thing. He's, he's, it's not like they made up some fake team. He's playing a member of the Milwaukee Brewers. Yeah, or a former. I see. There are pictures. Like I said, there's a picture of him in uniform. And also, the only things that I was able to find for this show are the press photos. And Really? I'm not sure how true this is, how true of a statement. It may be completely on target, though. When you see the photos for this show, you say, this will never last. <laughs> Because it's just the cast. It looks so community theater. Like, I don't know how it happened. Oh, I can't wait. But it's really something else. I can't wait. I'm very excited to watch these with you. We're going to make it happen. We are, because I've always wanted to go. Yeah. Ever since I saw Seinfeld go in comedian. This is as good a one as any. Yeah. So, tell me things about your experience. <laughs> well, my experience, mine was pretty <laughs> thin too, pal. Yeah. It sure was. Nothing was really catching my eye this week. Uh, until I stumbled upon a little article from New York Magazine, February okay. 20th, 1995, which, by the way, had Jerry Seinfeld on the cover. Ooh. And the feature story was about how all these celebrities are moving to New York from Los Angeles. Like you. Like me. Yes, I was on the list. <laughs> they all marbly. With a little year that it said 2018 next to my name. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? And how no about one it? called me or told me. <laughs> Jerry Seinfeld, though, got his own page. That's yeah. just rude. He got a separate story in addition to being mentioned in that first story, and it says, what's so funny about New York City? Jerry Seinfeld is on the phone from his studio office deep inside area code 818, which is Burbank, or Studio mm -hmm. City. Where are you calling from? He asks immediately. When he hears the answer, Manhattan on a cold, crisp, sunny day, he groans. You're killing me. I don't even like to talk to people from New York because I'm so painfully homesick. Boy, oh boy. Isn't this something? I love this. About Lately, it. he hasn't spent much time here. About a week since last June. But I still get my apartment cleaned every two weeks, and I pay rent on my car in the garage every month. And I see those bills, you know, and it makes me feel like I live there. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Oh, yeah, he said, so at, even at this point, this is 95. The show's not even close to being done. He's like, I'm definitely coming back at the end of this show. And he did, didn't Well, yeah, he lives out here, doesn't he? You bet he does. He lives on the Upper West Side. He said the show has kept him in Los Angeles for the most part, but there's light at the end of the tunnel. He's made noises lately about ending the show's run. Quote, once it's done, I am show business. <laughs> oh, man. I love when he gets arrogant. Quote. So then always, you always love him. Yes, I like smug comedians. <laughs> I don't have to be in L.A. for the business anymore. I could bring it with me. I'll be able to move back on a permanent basis. I mean, that's true. Sure. You could argue. Uh, he could do anything. He could do anything. And I've always said that. <laughs> I'm the one that told him back in the 70s. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you've got it. I said, what are you doing around here? You got to move to Los Angeles. <laughs> That's where all the jobs are. Oh, man. This is and he so. Was like, nah, Sandusky, Ohio. <laughs> this is so apt. He says, Los Angeles is no place to live. I concur. He says, it's a nice place to work because the city has no distraction, which is so true. He says being in L.A. on the weekend is like being in an office building on a weekend. Just look around and go, where is everybody? Interesting. It's so he nailed the right on the head. Yeah. When I lived there, I was so productive because there was nothing to do. And because everyone, you know, is working on 
the same thing. So you feel like you're just always at work. Right. That's very interesting. I don't think I realized that there was nothing to do in L.A. I mean, of course, there are things to do, Mm -hmm. but there's nothing to do. You know what I mean? I think so. Yeah. It's certainly more difficult. Yes, there's no spontaneity at all. Right. Which is what he said. He says, New York is such an exciting city that even being on a model of it 3,000 miles away is exciting. I work with all ex-New Yorkers. That's how we survive. We have a little New York aquarium that we live in, and that's what keeps me going. Oh, here's a little fun dig at your hometown. Seinfeld was born in Brooklyn, raised in Massapequa, along mm-hmm. with the brothers Baldwin, Jessica Hahn, Ron Kovic, and Joey Buttafuoco. Quote. Here we go. There's a quote from Jerry. They've been checking the levels of lead. <laughs> that's like a real old-fashioned kind of joke (laughs) that's really funny (laughs) he he says about new york to me it's like a huge cocktail party with all these interesting people and unusual things that are just an arm's length away even if you're not talking with exactly who you want to be talking with you can see them right across the room huh wow what does that mean i don't know i'm too busy thinking about ron kovic you know who that is right no i was gonna ask you ron kovic is the main character of Born on the Fourth of July. Oh, my gosh. Yes. No kidding. Played, Wait, is that movie set in Long Island? The beginning is, yeah. It looks very, Um, I've always seen the beginning. It looked very California to me as a kid. No, he talks about. Billy Joel. <laughs> and all those no, great war the... songs. <laughs> <laughs> but he goes to get a job, I think, early. You know, Piano Man's an artillery sergeant. That's old army slang. Oh, my God. <laughs> he goes to a uh, a burger place early in the movie. Cool. <laughs> well, Frank Whalen is the manager. Okay. Do you remember? No, I haven't watched this far, to be honest. Anyway, I've been to that burger place. <laughs> That's fun. It's a drive-in. And you it's know really I love popular. movie locations. Yeah. I would like well, to go to that burger place after I watch the movie. I'd love to do that. We could do that. Let's do it. Perfect. We're going on the road, people. (laughs) Oh, and here's a very politically incorrect thing. The next story, because it's around Valentine's Day, is about where to meet singles in uh, New York. And the subhead is Alcoholics Anonymous. Oh, boy. And it's not saying go to an AA meeting. It's a list of bars that are good for mingling. Oh, yikes. Yeah. (laughs) Culture changes. Yeah, I'm genuinely not cool with that sort of thing. And maybe that's me being too uptight, but I don't think so. No, I think a lot of people, I think they'd get a lot of flack in 2018. Well, it weirds me out. Like, there's still a bar, and I'm sure that there's one in, like, every town. But I saw the bar in the city a couple of weeks ago called The 13th Step. Yeah, that's in my old neighborhood. Yeah, and I'm just like, (gasps) oh, oh, my God. Gosh, that's horrible. Yeah. Did you just put that together live on the air? Yeah, I never thought about it because it's. Yeah. That's owned by a guy who owns a bunch of bars in New York that you've probably been there. I've been to all of them. They're so fun if you're young. Sure. They used to have Dollar Mug Night at uh, Stumble Inn, which is the okay. one on the Upper East Side. They got uh, the Gin Mill on the West Side. They got um, Off the Wagon. <laughs> that's another edgy name, I guess. I mean, come on, dude. I really should have put this together. Yeah, they got a place called. Pretty they they got bar fight. (laughs) Yeah, they have Brett Kavanaugh. They've got they've got got deadbeat dad. (laughs) Yeah, thirteenth step. That is uh. Yeah, I don't like that. Yeah, that's messed up. Yeah, yeah. Let's take them down. down. (laughs) Let's take them down. Yeah, every week we'll mention it. (laughs) Hey, everyone, boycott thirteenth step in East Village. (laughs) (laughs) We're we're going to war. We're taking it to the mattresses. Shall we get into it? That's all I got. Great. Let's get into it. 
So this was directed. We got a new guy. I who we think. Got? Oh no, he directed. It's the guy who directed the episode Up All Night. Okay. Which <laughs> I know you didn't like, and I liked a lot. The one with John Aston. This is Michael Lembeck. Cool. Who also appeared in The In-Laws, Paul Reiser's favorite movie. Oh, very neat. And it was written by one of my favorite writers on the show, Billy Grunfest. Yeah, it was. Billy Grunfest. I mean, if you want to reach into a bucket of Jewish culture and pull out some jokes, ask this man. That's a gross analogy, John. It sure is. Buckets (laughs) of culture. (laughs) We're at a tarp because you're going to get soaked. (laughs) This episode has no cold open. And you know what I wrote in my notes? What's that? No cold open. You know it's going to be special. There you go. Which is What do you think of this one? Okay, so let's start with the things I didn't like. Okay. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's one thing that really bothered me. Yeah. The episode goes off the rails. I know you're going to disagree. You're going to say, I know, because before we started recording, you alluded to how much you didn't like this episode. I didn't love this episode the first time around. I liked it more as I continued to watch it. It's one of my favorite episodes. Oh, yeah? The jokes are some of my favorite jokes on the show, I think. Cool. The story goes off the rails when he uh, surprises the Conways at the opera. Yes. Because it's like, how'd you get into Lincoln Center without tickets? Absolutely. I don't buy that you and Ira would actually go up to these people in their box seats and shout during an opera. Right. It's just too much. I don't think that they would respond that way. Yeah, Yeah. none of it. I don't know why it did that, to be honest. Right. Oh, every moment. I'm going to tell you all right now. I wrote down too many jokes. We can't play them all. We shouldn't even talk about them all. You have to go watch this episode. And I'm going to tell you all that you don't have to go watch this episode. (laughs) Don't listen to your father. (laughs) What's something you liked? Well, I'll do a... a, You'll do what I did? The thing that... What I was going to say is I'll do a flip of what you were saying. Something that that opera house scene did have going for it was the return of the box... Seat set. Yes, the sitcom trope. It's easier yes. to build a tiny mm-hmm. four-seat area than an mm-hmm. entire orchestra. It brought back to mind the Hello Regis episode. Absolutely. So it was fun screaming Hello Regis from our couch <laughs> as we watched this one. Oh, that's sweet. Which is a thing we did. That's really nice. What did I not like about this episode? You know, I don't think I really didn't like anything. I think this was just like kind of... Oh, I gotcha. Yeah, this is a high-level good one. A pleasant night of TV. Yeah. Also, it came... A, a high-level good one? Yeah. That sounds extremely complimentary. Yeah, it's pretty good. This was a fun one. Russ, it came after all over it's, the map. It's coming a week after the best episode of this show with Carl Reiner. It is. That's why I was, I was expecting it to be sort of a dud. Sure. And it blew my sock. I watched it in a Starbucks in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Oh, well, that's why you liked it so much. Your standards are way down. Yeah, you know, it's like that thing they say, if you watch a movie in a Starbucks in New Hampshire, you're more likely to cry. (laughs) It's because they recirculate the air. Yeah, yeah, your emotions are extra heightened. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that I liked from early in the episode. Sure. Jamie's on the phone with her dad, and Paul asks where, because Jamie's mom is out of town for the weekend and has left her dad. The domino effect of people? Well, the domino effect of people, yes. But specifically, the first person who isn't there, Jamie's mom, is going to visit Uncle Phil. Yes, I had the same thought. Uncle Phil, in a season or two, is going to be played by Mel Mel Brooks. Brooks. And is also, in future seasons, a Buckman. 
Is he? That's right. He is, isn't he? You I oh, was, what are you out of your mind? You think Helen no, Hunt? You think Jamie Buckman has Mel Brooks as an uncle and Paul Reiser? Well, does, can you imagine? It gave me pause because I was just like, wait a sec. I was like, huh? So that's her. I was like, well, I guess maybe that's why she gets along so well with Paul is because she had Mel Brooks in her family. All yeah, her and the life. reason they get divorced in the last episode is because they're cousins. Spoiler alert. Yeah, Paul and Jamie are cousins. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, there's just two Uncle Phil's. That's a very common name, I think. That's true. But this domino of all these different, it's, here it is. You'll get it. I don't have to explain it. You'll get it. Go for it. Where did your mother go anyway? She's spending the weekend with Uncle Phil. For what? His wife's in Albany, so he's all alone. What's in Albany? Uh, her brother. Where's his wife? In diet camp till Monday. <laughs> so basically, because of one fat woman upstate New York, 17 families go out of whack? That's a bad thing. <laughs> I Real love fun. Oh, the math he had to do. Yeah. It's such a fun little journey. <laughs> and this episode's full of them. The writing of this phone call with her dad is particularly great. Oh. Because the thing that he winds up doing, he's making a sandwich. Her yes. dad is making a sandwich, and he doesn't know how to do it. He doesn't know how to do things to the point where it seems like he might be losing his mind. Yeah. Where like, Jamie's, telling him, Jamie's telling him how to toast bread. How to open and a jar? He couldn't remember that the direction. it's supposed to be brown. Yeah, she gives him the direction. She's like, go get the mayo. And then she says a few words to Paul and then comes back to the phone and says, try counterclockwise. Yeah, it's such a great... Yeah, you hear the audience like, wait, as they don't get it. Right. And then they all get it at the same time and laugh out loud. He has a lot of fun with incredibly active jokes. Yes. Where it, just a little hint of something means the world. Absolutely. It's really elegant. I liked it a whole lot. Paul references Home Alone. Just hearing Paul Reiser go, what am I, Macaulay Culkin? Yeah, he references Home Alone as he's lying in bed and playing a Game Boy. Yeah, it's so fun. I'm like, this is weird. Paul has a Game Boy. I did not think that Paul was going to be a Game Boy guy. What game do you think he plays? I don't know. I can't imagine him having the patience to play any video game. He's probably playing some baseball game. Great get. Well, I mean, he doesn't really watch baseball, does he? Well, he used to love it. When? We had the Sporting Goods Store episode with... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got childhood icons. Yeah. That's not the same. If I met... um, He's got childhood icons, but also he loves the... Uh, he's got the vendor. He's not playing a peanut game. <laughs> Yet. Maybe he I don't is. Know what that means. So, the gist of this... Ep I mean, as the description said, <laughs> the first scene is like, her dad's a mess, so you... Every step of this episode, honestly, you kind of know where it's going. Right. And it doesn't bother me, but it's like very clear that like, oh, there's maybe a need for her to go to her dad. And Paul's very encouraging because, you know, the feeling he's just dying for some alone time. Sure. To run amok and be a mess. Yep. You know, and walk around with his shirt off and drink milk out of the carton, etc. He closes the door on Jamie as she leaves and immediately does a dance, enjoying the fact that it's all mine. A real four clapper kind of dance. Yes, it is. Is pouring out of his body. I love it. It is very enthusiastic. Oh, and right before she leaves, she's giving him like a laundry list, literally, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of things that he has to remember, keep track of, like the shower's broken. He has to call uh, Mr. Uh, what's his name? Wicker. Wicker, Mr. Wicker. Does she mention the track? I don't know. She. Oh, she, she gives him tips on, uh, she's like, if you're going to do laundry, don't do it at this time because you'll run into this family. And she keeps reiterating the laundry and he goes, understand how much I'm not going to do laundry. Yeah. It's not in his game plan. The button of that little list of things mm -hmm. is, you know, you're allergic to coconut. Oh, yes. <laughs> and he goes, so no luau's. 
So I'll cancel the luau. Yeah. You know you're allergic to coconut. Uh, <laughs> he is uh, he's so damn talented. Yeah. This whole sequence funny. is buoyed by him. You know, when Gary and I saw him do stand up last year. Oh, yeah. I was really surprised by how physical he was. And Jen said to me, she was like, that's weird that you were surprised by how physical he was because he's an incredibly physical stand-up comedian. It's most of what he does. And now watching the show, I'm like, yeah, he's all over the place all the time. Why was I surprised? Between the dance and just everything. It's so good. It's amazing. so good. You're right to say he's so damn talented. He is so good at so many things. Oh, that's true, too. Absolutely. Yeah. This whole sequence with the Malamars. He takes the Malamars out of the cupboard. Mm-hmm. He brags about how they're his. Mm-hmm. Then he brags about how he's not even going to close the cupboard. Right. He says, that's how giddy I am with power. Yep. And then he puts on Baywatch. Which- he's going to offer a Malamar to Murray, yeah. which is not safe. No, he'll die, right? Yeah. I'm like, how's that episode going to end? You're so excited now that you're going to have to rush your dog to the dog hospital. Ugh, I love Malamars. They're good. You don't know this growing up in New York, but they're not easy to get outside New York. Oh, no? No. Not at all. And everyone in my family loved them because they grew up with them, but then they like disappeared from Ohio. So anytime you could get a box, it was like a huge treat. And I would sure. often bring them home to Ohio from uh, New York for my mom. That's how I was with RC Cola. Really? Growing up, RC Cola was the official beverage of the New York Mets. Of course it was. Isn't that the most perfect thing? Yeah, <laughs> so, it really so is. So I go to a Mets game and you get an RC Cola. It's like and, tab. And, uh, yeah, and on the scoreboard, RC Cola, blah, 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 or blah. Diet rice. And, <laughs> and then a couple of years ago, in 2015, when the Mets were in the playoffs, yeah. went to the World Series, I was just like, oh, i got to get my hands on some RC. Yeah. I was like, but they don't make it anymore. Royal And then Cola. I found out, Royal Crown. Oh, yeah, whatever. Then I found out that they do make it places. I was going to buy some through eBay. I was like, I cannot spend uh. $25 <laughs> to have soda shipped to my house. I have been there, my friend. Yeah, and then a few months later, I went to Ohio to visit Jen's family, and we just went to the grocery store, and they had it. And I was just like, do you know what you have here? <laughs> like, what, garbage, <laughs> like third-rate cola that oh. you can get anywhere, but no one does because it's terrible? Absolutely. <laughs> so I bought some and brought it back with me. That's great. <laughs> I love soda. If you gave me a grand and eight seconds in a novelty soda shop, I could spend it. Yeah, I hear you. Oh, I once did that in Los Angeles. That's how little there is to do. (laughs) Truly, I think it was a Saturday or Sunday afternoon. I had nothing to do, and I thought, huh, I wonder if there's a novelty soda shop anywhere. And there was one 10 miles away. (laughs) That's amazing. And I got an Uber, and I went to the novelty soda shop, and I looked at all the soda bottles, and I bought a bunch of them. And I took them home. Did you drink them? Over the course of the next two and a half years. Well, good. Because the flip is, I I thought you were going to be like, you buy one to drink and one to keep uh, sealed up. Oh, I'm not a psycho. (laughs) Play with your dolls, drink your soda, throw out your empties. (laughs) For both. Yeah, right. Live, huh? How about that? How about you live a little? Otherwise, you're going to end up a 40-year-old virgin. You know who's great in this episode? Ira? Yep. Yeah. He made me laugh out loud. He's such a jerk in this one. He's so good. He delights so much in Paul's pain, like more than normal, and I love it. There's a smash cut 
So what happens in this episode? That's the term is, I used. That's the term. So what happens is, like we said, Jamie goes home. Paul's got the apartment to himself. And all of these things start happening that are unexpected. Yeah, you know, Paul becomes Jamie's dad. Yes. He has no idea what's going on. Like a dry cleaning guy comes to the door to pick up clothes and he's like, oh, what? Which clothes? And then he's like, Mm -hmm. wait, is it laundry or dry cleaning? And so he has to keep calling Jamie. Every time something happens, he has to call Jamie and be like, what is this? And she's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, of course. So, yeah, Yeah. at one point, uh, this is the bed, right? Yes. (laughs) A couple of people come by. And Paul, at this point, has already called Jamie about dry cleaning. There's a meat of the month delivery that he isn't expecting. And he keeps on calling Jamie and she is expecting him. She keeps on saying, do you want me to come home? Are you okay?" And so he's decided he's had enough of calling her and he will trust in himself. He tries to be self-reliant at the exact wrong time. It's exactly because two people come by from a local thrift store, a local charity, because a wife from the floor. They're picking up the bed. Yes. Someone's wife is called to donate a bed. And earlier in the episode, Paul had complained about the bed. And what's so wonderfully confusing about it is they tell him his wife called about the bed. He complained about the bed just last night. Yes. And she said, no, we don't need a new bed. She said, no. And then she said, I'll think about it. Right. So it's implausible almost that she would have already, because she got the first train in the morning, she said. Right. So it's implausible that she would have called, which is confusing. Right. Like, it's such a natural confusion that you feel it as an audience member. Yes. And he feels it. And he tries to not fall into it. Yes. And so he allows these two people to take their bed. (laughs) And he then spends a little bit of the day with Mr. Wicker downstairs doing a crossword puzzle as the Brits from across the hall leave and ask Mr. Wicker, hey, did anybody come by to pick up any apartment things? Because we're donating a bed. And Paul overhears this downstairs, and then we smash cut to Paul and Ira in Paul and Jamie's bedroom without a bed, and Ira doing a patented (laughs) kind of laugh. It's so satisfying. It's real good. So uh, one thing that's established in the episode is Paul is very bad. He's so excited to spend time alone, but as Ira Mm -hmm. points out earlier when they're having a slice of pizza... He's horrible at spending time alone. He's like, your whole life you've been alone for like two minutes. Yes. You know, he lived with his parents, then he had college roommates, then he lived with Ira, Mm -hmm. and then he married Jamie. Yeah. So he's so desperate at this point that he's hanging out at the front desk of the building with Mr. Wicker doing his crossword puzzle. Yeah, and Mr. Wicker asked, when's your wife getting home again? Yeah, which is brutal and hilarious. It's delivered in such a kind way that I didn't even realize that it was a, hey, when are you getting out of here kind of dig. Until I, until rewatching it. Oh my gosh. Take a hit, oh. Russ. <laughs> Once again, Maggie Conway stealing an episode. Yeah. So, as Russ said, the Conways come down to get a cab because they're going to the op, they're going to brunch and then the opera with Hal mm-hmm. Conway's publisher. And right. they find out Jamie, Jamie's not around this weekend, <laughs> and this is what happens. My wife and I used to go to brunch all the time. Oh, have you two split up? No, no, she just... Yeah, she did. <laughs> the that way so she asks... Vicious. Oh. Oh. <laughs> it's the perfect amount, you know? Because she mm-hmm. could be super delighted and excited. Right. Which would be too much. But it's so just straightforward. It's very believable. It's They're so great. believable. Oh, man. <laughs> 
another fun thing that happens in the middle of this episode. One unexpected thing to Paul is Fran comes over. Yes. And takes a shower. Yes. At their place. We learn afterwards that Fran comes by sometimes after going to the gym. The gym shower is all nasty. Their apartment is right around the corner. So she comes by, takes a shower at the Buckman's. So Paul sees Fran naked. And (laughs) and Paul calls Jamie to find out about it or to, to tell her what happened. And so Jamie asks, what happened? And Paul says, I didn't see a thing. Yeah. And Jamie spits back, did you apologize? Everybody's honest and fine with it. She's pretty fine with it. She's like, did you apologize? And Paul responds, I'm going to send an arrangement. Oh, Russ, I wrote it down. Which is such a specific line, and it's delivered so perfectly. It's so... I can't believe it. It's right out of my childhood. Yeah. I think also because my grandparents' business was to make arrangements. Oh, what a nice arrangement. But I've like, heard that oh, so yeah, much. Yeah, right? So good. And I feel another, like that's uh, out of the Jewish American lexicon. Absolutely. Oh. Arrangements for affairs. <laughs> I want to bounce back for a sure. quick second to the beginning of that phone call, because an, a funny thing that happens with Paul throughout this episode and basically throughout his life, they do a really great job. Paul starts conversations He's very good at asking nonsense questions at the beginning of phone conversations for pleasantries and then getting to the meat of yes. it. Yes. Yeah. It's like an obligatory small talk. Yeah. He, that he doesn't listen to at all. We're going right. to listen to that right now. Hello. Hi, it's me. Hi, sweetie. How was your trip? It was okay. The train was a little late. All right, good. Listen. <laughs> just that quick dismissal. I just, oh, huh? How'd it go? How was your, how was your trip in? Uh, oh, it was okay. I don't this care. Was, uh, listen. Okay, good. Hey, yeah. listen. <laughs> he does it now and he does it later. And like I said, I think he does it every time he's on a phone call. I think you're right. Oh, it's real good. Right after this happens with the arrangement, the doorbell goes off. Mm-hmm. And it's the laundry guy we talked about earlier. And the exchange, this is so emblematic of the humor in this episode, the exchange between the two of them. Snappy garments. And a lovely jacket yourself. <laughs> oh, that's real good. Because Pretty it's not clever. Even, this is what I love about this show. I love how we can somehow manage to stay so grounded, even though it has jokes that are so unbelievably stupid and absurd. It's pretty dumb. It's really great. Oh, <laughs> oh. I love the Buckman so much. We just love them so much that we're like, yeah, yeah, you can make that joke. Please do. Oh, a thousand percent. Oh. How about though? And this is another, Russ, this is one of my favorite episodes. I'm coming around, John. Lisa comes over because Jamie oh called God, Lisa, Lisa and told her to bring Paul food. Yeah. Paul is so lonely and desperate for company that he's super excited when Lisa comes by. He's like, oh, tell me about your life. Like, what's going on? And she's like, you never want to hear about my life. And he's like, of course mm-hmm. I do. And she's like, no, you just sit there while me and Jamie talk and you roll your eyes. Mm-hmm. And he says, no, I don't. So this gets Lisa to decide to try to honestly tell Paul things about her life in an attempt to get him to roll his eyes. So she spends 40 seconds saying the most eye-rolly Lisa things that you could think of, and it is unbelievable. I'm thinking of buying a ferret. (laughs) Good for you. Mm Mm-hmm. 
I know where I can get one for $600. Sounds pricey for a weasel, but... Well, you know how good I am at budgeting my money. Nobody better. I figured I'd name him Biff after this old boyfriend of mine who used to be a doorman at F.A.O. Schwartz, only he got fired for stealing Legos and had to move back home to Jersey, which was kind of a drag because we had bought this 63 Valiant together and whatever I felt like driving uptown, I had to go to Newark first, but actually it worked out pretty well because the bus I had to take had this driver named Alana and uh, she let me honk the horn once in a while and eventually she introduced me to her brother who breeds ferrets and he said I could have pick of the litter for 600 bucks and a pair of my panties which you can't deny is a pretty good deal. Anna Ramsey's so good. It starts at a 10. Yeah. I'm thinking of getting a ferret for $600. <laughs> for $600? It's so amazing. <laughs> It's one of those and, jokes. And then. And then. And then. The whole thing. I mean, look, the whole thing is great, but the fact that that is how it starts. And then they come back to the $600 and a pair of my panties. Uh, oh, and uh, Paul Buckman <laughs> saying, sounds pricey for a weasel. Oh, it's so good. And then what you aren't able to hear is after oh. all of this, Paul's eyes roll <laughs> right out of his head <laughs> he walks away to get the door and yeah he's holding his head because yeah. his eyes are rolling so hard yeah. he has to use his hands to maintain <laughs> equilibrium <laughs> the audience and me ate it up with a spoon oh it's so good and it's the people so at good. the door are the movers right at oh you know what i wrote coming uh, what, what'd you write at the smash cut i wrote we're only 14 minutes in yeah. There were so many laughs in those first 14 minutes. Yeah. And then it slows down a little for a minute. <laughs> they pack it in. One great thing that Iris says at the end of the scene in the empty bedroom with Paul is Paul says, maybe she won't notice. And Iris just says, I don't know, Paulie. She's pretty smart. <laughs> Man. Oh, and good. another dig. Another great dig. He goes, it really does open the room, though, doesn't it? Oh, it's so good. It's so good. He's a little jerk. That all happens after Ira gives one of these. What about the Brits? They weren't even here. Yeah, but they would know the name. The Brits would know the name, yes, because they're the ones who called this them. This is what I'm saying. Oh, yeah, all right. It's our catchphrase, John. Wait, which one? Ira gives it, this is what I'm saying. He does? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so deep in my brain, I don't even know if I notice it anymore. Yeah, man. Oh, wonderful. It's pretty great. And that's not the only one for the up. It's not? Well, no, we'll get to that later. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> you must. So from there, we go to the thrift store where a nun is trying to sell Paul and Jamie's bed back to Paul Classic for $400. Shady charity nun. He's like, but that's my bed. And she's like, oh, I understand. Yeah. He's like, can I have it back? And he's like, of course, $400, which also is kind of a lot. Oh, in it's 1995 super a lot. at a thrift store. Yeah. For a bed frame. Yeah. She's trying to make a buck. Who could blame her? She's <laughs> played by Deborah Mooney. Okay. She was in A.R. Gurney's Love Letters. Oh. She played a nun also in an episode of Will and Grace. Great. And a movie called The Last Godfather. But she played a Jew on Seinfeld. Ooh, multifaceted. So the woman has range. She also how was in the that? female uh, production of The Odd Couple on Broadway in the 80s. Oh, how cool. And then, oh, yeah, the guy, one of the guys who works for the charity company, one of the guys who helps move the bed is a guy named Andrew Craig, 
And mm-hmm. he was in a comedic short film called Mitzvah Communion. Oh, interesting. There's a real wow, like a faith streak of... moving through this yeah. episode. There's a great line about faith that she comes out with because Paul says to her, a new bed is coming. She basically says, when? And he says, whenever. And she says, well, I can't live on faith. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Which is a pretty great thing for a nun to say. It sure is. <laughs> yes, this scene is a ball. Basically what happened, I mean, the gist of the episode is, well, you should go watch it, but essentially. <laughs> the gist is watch this episode. Yeah, Paul convinces, she's like, well, if you bring the bed that was supposed to be here, which is the Conway's bed back, I'll give you your bed. So he goes and the Conway's are smug now. <laughs> yep. Because they love seeing them in a bind. And uh, they're like, sure, you can take our bed for $300. <laughs> so he doesn't do it, right? Uh, no, he does. Oh, he does. That's right, because he drives it down. And yeah. someone in New York had to get B-roll of Fran's car from episode <laughs> from season one or two. <laughs> yeah. Driving down the- a New York City street with a mattress on top. Yep. While Fran ADRs the line. Yeah. Scratch my car, I'll kill you or something. Yeah. There, we've established that I'm driving my car with the bed <laughs> to the thrift store. We've done it. <laughs> <laughs> they get the bed back. We get one of my favorite jokes of the episode. Lisa's holding a bag of the fasteners. They got all the bed pieces back in the bedroom, but it's a million mm-hmm. different parts, like an Ikea bed. Yep. And Leah's got holding a Ziploc bag with all the different fasteners, trying to put the bed together. And yep. she says... Great, I got 14 things in three holes. What do I do? Join the circus. <laughs> I mean, Russ. That's vulgar. <laughs> it's wonderful. It's really good. That is something else, man. Oh, there's so oh, there's so many good lines I wrote at the end of this. There's a really nice runner throughout the entire episode about how Paul was going to hang out with the guys. And first, Jamie tells him, you don't have guys. He says, I have guys. And then he says to Ira, I'll hang out with the guys. And Ira says, you don't have guys. You can borrow some of my guys. Right. And then as they are trying to put this bed back together, they ask, how did you get this bed together to begin with? And Paul just says, that's when I had guys. Yeah. I thought you were going to talk about another joke that I love because it's so innocuous and it killed me. And I think the audience loved it too. One of the last bits on the guys thing before that joke that you just mentioned is he's flipping through his little black book with mm. Murray on the couch. He's like, <laughs> yeah. you know what? I, I got no guys. Yep. And he gets to the last page and he turns to Murray and he goes, Zucker? Nah. Nah. <laughs> Which is maybe the funniest name at the end of a directory. Could be. You know? Do you think it's the Zucker brothers? Yeah. Do you- I do. He's like, nah, they're all they're crazy right wing. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah, one of them at least. No kidding. Yeah, he made that movie A Christmas Carol a few years ago with uh, uh the Dickens story? Was it called the Scrooge is the good guy? Yeah, that's it. No, <laughs> I, I'm trying to remember if it's called, I think it was called The Christmas something like that. And I think it's close to that, Scrooge being the good, the good guy. It's with Kevin Farley, Chris Farley's brother, and he's playing a Michael Moore type. This is like a bizarro world. Yeah, it's really weird. I want to see this. You're going to love it, and I'm going to be very mad at you. <laughs> oh, so at the very end, I guess, we get a few different, th- I don't know. We're wrapping it up, right? Yeah. Paul misuses Darwinian. He does. Big time, and I love it. It's like the way we use, uh, I forget what word, but we misuse some word a lot. All the time. Yeah. <laughs> I think the word is classic. No, no. As, <laughs> as in we say, 
this is a classic sitcom or another classic moment. I mean, that might be true, but that, that's <laughs> ubiquitous, that word. <laughs> yeah, Jamie's like, she undoes the like domino effect of all the different relatives who are visiting other relatives. So that's why she came home early. And Paul's like, oh, I got a real Darwinism thing going on. And it's like, that's not true. That's, that's the not... opposite of Darwinism. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think that was a joker on purpose. And I love, I love that. I think, I think Billy Grunfest might have misused Darwinism. Yeah. I think Paul Reiser doesn't quite understand. Yeah. Oh, but Jamie has this great line about her dad when she gets home. She's frustrated and she says, the man fought two wars. He can't cut a melon. <laughs> That's really good. Oh, man. Paul leaves Ira, Lisa, and Fran to put together the bed while right. he goes to talk to Jamie. <laughs> he says before he leaves the bedroom, he says, how fast can you guys do this? And Fran says, we can't. And Paul says, all right, but hurry. <laughs> I love this episode. Come on, Russ. Are you out of your mind? No, I love it too. You've done it. Great. Success. I'm like, what do you Great want from success. these people? <laughs> it's free too. That's true. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. It's crazy. <laughs> so Paul stalls for a little while. It's very funny. Eventually, Jamie sort of forces her way into the bedroom because she's tired. Mm. She wants to go to bed. They walk in. The bed's miraculously put together. And Fran, mm -hmm. Ira, and Lisa are gone. Yeah. How did it happen? Jamie opens the door. Lisa is hiding in the closet. Or no, Fran is hiding in the closet. Ira. Ira's hiding in the closet. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> With a, like a lampshade over his head or something. She doesn't notice. Oh, a classic moment. Classic. <laughs> it's, it is. That is. <laughs> That is. Yeah. It's so classic. I can't remember what time who it was. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. And you know what's coming and you can't wait. And when it happens, it's so satisfying. Paul drops on the bed and the whole thing collapses. Yep. And what's so great is Jamie sees this and says, you know what? Maybe you're right. We do need a new bed. And then after she says that, Ugh. Paul says, this is what I'm saying. Yes, you're right. I was just so giddy at that point yeah. that I, you know. Because this is also like a beat-for-beat beat perfect I Love Lucy episode. That is true. I mean, beginning to end. It's very good. It was very, very fun. It's one. Then, and then the tag is even brilliant. The tag is great. It's night. It's like pitch black. Paul and Jamie are asleep. And uh, This is a time bottle episode. A time bottle episode. Yes, I don't know that what that it, is. It takes place in the same day. Yep. It's a <laughs> That's what time bottle means that's now. What that's what a time bottle is. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so the tag is... Uh, Instead of getting five cents back, you get five minutes back. Holy moly. <laughs> no? So Ira... I'm sorry, Ira everyone. <laughs> Ira and Fran and Lisa all leave from... You know, Fran's been hiding out in the shower. Well, it's this wonderful dolly shot that starts just outside the bathroom. Yep. And we see Fran climb out of the tub and we move with her as she's walking out of the apartment. And as she enters the bedroom, Ira comes out of the closet. Yes. And they walk, they keep walking and we walk with them. And then as they pass the little chest in front of the bed, Lisa climbs out of the chest. It's so wonderful. It's great. It's so fun. It was very, very fun. This whole episode was a whole lot of fun. It really was. Yeah. Not. A, I think we're, oh gosh, what episode did we say this was? What number? 17. Five episodes left for the season, I think, oh, right? Oh, that's too bad. Something like that? Oh, we're going to have to start dealing with this baby soon. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, things are going to get dramatic. Oh, yeah. When's the big breakup? Four? I think four. I think four, too. 
So this time next year, we'll be talking about the breakup. Yeah, people will be very sad and very yeah. angry. Boy, I oh boy. Really but we're happy episode. now. Huh? But we're happy now. Oh, can I re- just read one semi-related description? Please. So the guy who plays, they start haggling over their bed in the thrift store with this other guy who right. wants to buy their bed. Yeah. The guy's played by Tony Edwards, mm-hmm. who also played an optician in the episode when I'm 64. Oh. And he is in a movie called Perfect Fit. And the logline is an aimless young man turns to murder in order to satisfy the desires of his new girlfriend, a narcissistic blue jean fetishist. Wow. Yeah. We've got a lot of garbage to watch, John. This logline goes from zero to six. Like the last five words, it goes from zero to 60. Yeah. When you started, I didn't think the last word of it was going to be fetishist. Same. That's why I read it. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Oh, my goodness. Rise, guys and rise, gals. We've done it once more. Thank you so much for listening. We have a website, madaboutyoupod.com. You bet we do. We would love for you to go there and listen and comment and uh, participate. Why not? This is fully immersive experience. If you don't own the show yet, buy it. Buy it. Links on our website. You can yep. get it on Amazon for 25 bucks. the whole series. Yeah. It's totally worthwhile. Totally. It's worth it for this episode. Yeah. And we say that all the time. And that's not to say that we oversay it. Not all we the have- time. That's true. Not that hairdo but, episode from oh, two seasons ago or whatever. I was going to say, so I married a hair murderer. Is wow, the worst episode? Very good. I think it is. I think that is. But yeah, check it out. Rate us and review us over at Apple Podcasts. Five stars. This is the We're still doing 60 by 60, so go back and find your favorite thing that we've said or just anything that we've said in this episode and quote it on Apple Podcasts. Give us five stars. Boom. Yeah, hashtag 60 by 60. You can uh, tweet at us at MadAboutYouPod. You can Facebook us at MadAboutYouPod. And you can email us, MadAboutYouPod at gmail.com. And our website, which we mentioned, but I don't know if we said the URL, is MadAboutYouPod.com. Perfect. It's always MadAboutYouPod. MadAboutYouPod. Yeah, that's what I said. (laughs) Yeah, you're doing great. Yeah. (laughs) We have a theme song, and it goes like this. It's by Mr. John D. Ivy, who is the best. Thank you so much, John. Thank you, John. And we have a logo, which was designed by Mr. Nathan Diffie. He's on Twitter at Nathan D-I-F-F-E-E. Thank you, Nathan. Thank you, Nathan. And uh, this sound was mixed by Mr. Vuk Ivanovich. Thank you, Vuk. Thank you so much, Vuk. John. Why? What a time we've had together. What, the, uh, what a treat. Don't cry. Please don't cry. I'm not. Who's crying? Okay. I thought you were going to get emotional. No, I'm not emotional. I couldn't care less. <laughs> You're like, I was kidding about that time just now when I said that we had a really good yeah, time. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I hate doing this. Are we done yet? Well, well, I'll hate you again same time next week. How about that? <laughs> that sounds great. Great. We'll speak to you guys in just a bit. Until then, thanks so much, Rise Guys and Rise Gals. My name is Russ Fader. And I'm Johnny Marbles. <laughs> and... Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Uh, uh, I'm in a car. Uh, and, <laughs> and and this, this is, is what, what we're, we're saying. saying.